You're listening to Group, a podcast about mental illness and mental health. This is the show for the people experiencing some anxiety. And then I got really insecure about our relationship, and he got really insecure about our relationship, and then I became pretty sure I was either having a cerebral event or an aortic rupture. And the show for people who have difficulty chilling out. I created this whole new mental attitude. It's called a nervous breakdown. For those of you who can't shut off your brains, we're here to let you know you're not alone. What if I get drunk and I talk about Darfur too much? Or not enough? What if I don't bring up Darfur enough? To those who are feeling out of sorts, we're here to share some advice. Do it! Just do it! Yes, you can! Our goal is to tell your stories, to make you laugh, and to give you an audio hug through your earbuds. I'm Rebecca Lee Douglas, your resident anxious person, and... I'm here alone today, so no friendopist or science writer co-hosts. Um, but I wanted to bring you a bonus episode of Group. I got the chance to moderate a conversation about mental health and mental illness for World Mental Health Day. The conversation was with four different women, uh, a podcaster, a social worker, a former New York Times health writer, uh, and a health and justice organizer. So. Uh, It was a really neat conversation. It was organized by Olivia Button, who is the creator of Sweat Stains, uh, which is a zine, a thematic zine. um, And the most recent one was all about mental health and mental illness. So this conversation was sort of um, celebrating the launch of of that zine. If you're interested, you can go check it out at sweatstainsco.com and order your own copy. Uh, But I, I thought it was a really interesting panel. And I wanted to play an edited down version of that conversation for you guys today. So we'll be back with your regularly scheduled episode of Group on November 1st. But here's a little extra one to tide you over until then. I'm going to play the audio now. The first person that you hear speak is Olivia, who is, again, she's the creator of the zine. Um, Okay, enjoy. I started sweat stains because I sweat a lot, and in high school, people made fun of me for my sweat stains. So I just like embraced that and started talking about other things that people are normally ashamed of or embarrassed by, and I found that when you share those things, you get closer to people a lot faster. Um, So that's sweat stains. I gather stories that are submitted either anonymously or people share their names, and then I illustrate the stories. Tonight's conversation is about mental health and illness, and I know that so many of us are touched in some way by mental illness. Um, So a lot of what we plan to dig into is the language that we use when we talk about mental health versus mental illness, We also want to talk about the policies tonight that either um, help us access mental health care or hurt us, and then some various like identity conversations, who is affected in certain ways by certain mental illnesses. So here we go with our panel, Uh, and they're all connected to the mental health field in some way. Uh, First, we have Rebecca Lee Douglas, and she will be moderating the conversation tonight. She is the producer of Group, a lighthearted podcast about mental health and mental illness. Uh, And then next, we have Katie Dalebout. Um, She 
is the reason, probably the reason why I love podcasts so much. I started listening to her a year ago on my biking trips into work, and now she's here on a podcast I'm hosting, so I'm really grateful for her uh, and her voice. She is the author of the book, Let It Out, A Journey Through Journaling, and aims to help people develop a positive image of their bodies by embracing their creativity and personality outside their physicality. Catherine St. Louis here is a health reporter and 18-year veteran of the New York Times. She recently left, though, because she's cool and too good for it, no. <laughs> um, to write a book about family cutoffs when relatives choose to stop talking or seeing each other and become estranged. So she has an, an interesting perspective on mental health. And then we have Jessica Glass. She is a licensed clinical social worker, very experienced, 15 years in the field. She is also an adjunct professor at Fordham University, working in outpatient clinic settings, serving marginalized populations. And then finally, we have Miss V, who's out here tonight with a little bit of a sinus infection. Thank you for being here. Um, I probably would have said, like, I'm not feeling so good. Also, I have laundry and not gone. But thank you for being here. Um, she is a community organizer, social justice activist. She works for the Urban Justice Center's Mental Health Project. She's also a wellness coach and a re-entry specialist. So give it up for our panel tonight. I will kick it to you, Rebecca. Thanks so much, Olivia. This is so nice to like see everybody come together here tonight to talk about um, something this important. And I'm happy to be here with these, these four brilliant women. Uh, so to start, I thought we'd all sort of talk about what brought us to, to this place, what brought us to the projects that we're working on or writing or producing about uh, mental health and mental illness. So I started my podcast group because of personal experiences in my life. Um, I have uh, an anxiety disorder, which is tied to depression. It's gotten in the way of my, of my life quite a few times. Um, at times, it's been hard to, you know, uh, get out of bed in the morning, to go to work, to do anything other than like, you know, the basic, basic things that you need to do to function. And so it, it took a lot of hard work on myself and often really unpleasant work that I, I didn't want to do to get to a place where I, I felt like I could be okay. And um, I'm, I'm still managing it today, but it led me to use my, my background in broadcast journalism to start this show. Um, each episode focuses on different issues related to mental health, um, and we break it down with people who have personal experiences with that issue, uh, and we talk with a mental health professional who offers real advice and solutions. So, um, so yeah, so that's me, and I'm curious, you know, what led each of you to your line of work? I always was interested in human behavior, uh, so being a social worker just naturally fell in line with that work. Raised in somewhat of a tumultuous household, so there's personal experience that led me to be interested in human behavior and how people respond to adversity. My full-time or main position is working at Fortune Society, which is alternative to incarceration. 
what brought me to Fortune Society, just what brings most people to Fortune Society is wanting to end mass incarceration and finding a niche with this particular population. And being at uh, Fordham is wanting to help new social workers and remind people that the nobility of the field is that you will work with anybody that comes to you and not just pick and choose what population you're willing to serve. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, the question was, what brought me? To, okay. So I would say um, initially I, I've been in the mental health field in some way or form for the last 20 years. Next year will be, yeah, two decades. Um, and I would say that what initially brought me to it was the curiosity of trying to understand my birth mother. I spent part of my um, childhood as an army brat and the other part in foster care. So my childhood was pretty unique. And my mother was, I can now say, she was an undiagnosed schizophrenic and bipolar. Um, and so growing up with her t until I did was pretty interesting, especially because neither one of us knew what was causing her mood swings and things like that. I started in the criminal justice field, ended up working in the hospitals like Bellevue and things like that. So I ended up on the, the jail floor, the prison floor. Mm -hmm. And I always wondered what happened to people after that. Um, I went to school. I ended up doing CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy in prisons and jails. And I, I developed a voice that I didn't know was in me. That's how I ended up at the Urban Justice Center Mental Health Project. Um, I was looking for advocates. Um, I was looking for an employer that wouldn't punish me for speaking out and advocate for me to speak up. And, and that, that's how I became the community's health and justice organizer at the Mental Health Project. Hi, I'm Catherine. I came to mental health issues through my writing, I'm a health reporter, so I've written about everything from oral health to infectious disease. But mental health is where my heart is. I've had suicide in my family. There's uh, depression, but a lot of unspoken depression. Uh, it took me a long time to admit that I go through depressive episodes, mostly because of my upbringing. My dad's Haitian, my mom's Canadian, and they both think mental health doesn't exist or there's just not something they think about. Um, so as a journalist, it was important for me to educate people uh, so that they understand that here's what to look for if you think a friend is suicidal or here's how um, the culture is putting out uh, messaging about mental health and how, how we're shaping sort of narratives. So that's my interest. Hi, I'm Katie, and I love what you were saying, Catherine, because, and I'm glad that this conversation is being recorded, not just here in New York City, because I'm from the Midwest, and I grew up not having any understanding of mental health or any discussion or any, there was a lot of undiagnosed mental illness in myself and people around me, but it just wasn't something spoken about, so I think your your work as a journalist and and us just having these conversations and normalizing them is, is so important, and especially in different areas of the country. But I didn't really understand any sort of mental illness until I really had to be confronted with that. I had an eating disorder that I had to go into treatment for in college. And from there, I was really luckily, and, and like you were saying, and not in spite of, but 
really helped me to go down the path that I'm on now, which I'm actually really grateful for. It got me into therapy and it helped mm -hmm. me to learn so much. So that was kind of my introduction to mental illness and to realize that, oh, this, this is something that I identify with. And from there, an array of tools and, and here I am. <laughs> So I, I want to talk about the the term mental illness itself because um, so when I was when I was starting the the podcast that I work on I it was like a really hard decision to whether or not to use the term mental health or mental illness I we were going to be talking about mental illness but like it seemed like such a scary thing that put so many people off yeah so I, I'm just curious about you know your thoughts on it. Um, is that a term that we should embrace despite the stigma? Should we like throw it out and like start with something totally different? Should we just, you know, use the mental health umbrella? Um, yeah. So what are, what are your thoughts on, on the term and the stigma around that term? For, first, sorry to be the first one again, but for, for the social work field, you have to, because it's the DSM and this is how you diagnose and, when clients need SSI and they need benefits, they have to have a mental illness and you have to have a mental illness to be in a clinic and to have a diagnosis. So there's no way around it. And I think it's a social worker's ethical responsibility to educate and take away the stigma and provide psychoeducation. So in the field, there's no way to take away that term. It's Catherine. Um, I also feel like, how are we ever going to get to a point where we equate having a depressive episode with having a broken leg? I mean, I would no sooner keep a broken leg from a friend than if I were going through depression. I mean, for me, illness isn't necessarily bad. It's something we all go through, be it mental illness or other forms of, of a disease. Um, so for me, I'm not, I'm not hung up on that term. I don't feel like it's irredeemable. But it does feel good to think mental health. In other words, health, I can put something into this and be somewhat in control through therapy and other things I've, I do to take care of myself. Um, I'll speak on um, invisible disabilities quite often, and mental health is a great portion of that conversation. And I always tell people, um, I agree with Jessica, as far as disclosing to clients that certain wording has to go in paperwork to receive entitlements, that's one thing. But I always suggest to people that it's your comfortability, it's your body, it's your mind, it's your diagnosis or lack of diagnosis, and it's the terms that you feel comfortable with. And I think society has an issue with um, saying the word illness, but um, illness is just a disease or period of sickness that affects the body or mind. Uh, Olivia put me on blast tonight, saying I'm, you know, infected by my sinuses and stuff, and that that right there is a medical diagnosis. You know, that's a medical diagnosis that we just throw out there with ease, but that's my personal business, and it's okay to say, you know, I'm, I'm diagnosed as bipolar, but. And that's your personal business, and nobody should judge you for that. But as a society, we haven't gotten there yet. And that's sad. It's really sad. But I also want to say that um, as a person who suffers from invisible disabilities, um, I always tell people, I'm comfortable with discussing going through depression and anxiety as I recovered from my brain surgery, but the next person may not 
be that comfortable. So if somebody is willing to be open with us, then embrace them. And if they're not, respect that. So, so what do you think uh, is causing this stigma or leading to the stigma? And Catherine, maybe you can address this too. Like how pop culture might feed into it. What, what's happening with the stigma in pop culture is basically my question. John Green, the author of The Fault, uh, the Fault in My Stars? Is it? <laughs> in Our Stars, um, and other novels came out and sort of said that he's suffered lifelong anxiety and I believe OCD as well. And his account was so frank, and I think he's going to help like, a lot of kids because, I mean, even I am I'm jealous of all that he's accomplished all the novels that he's written. And just to know the flip side of that, what his struggle has been, is not only inspiring, it just feels like, wait, if he can have moments where he can write a book that can touch so many lives and then have moments that he can't get out of bed, well, then maybe I can get out of bed. It's just huge. So more and more people like that coming out and talking openly about what their lives are really like, I think really helps. What personally I don't feel like helps all that much is when shows like Netflix, 13 Reasons Why, um, take on having suicidal thoughts. So for those of you who don't, don't know, the 13 Reasons Why was a show about a young, attractive uh, woman who died by suicide, and then the whole show is about her saying all the people that she considers were reasons why she took her own life. And the show depicted her death in a very graphic way, in a way that mental health professionals will tell you is not the best way to go about it, because it was graphic in its detail. And, but also, the show really memorialized her in a way that we try to stay away from, if a teenager takes their own life, because for folks like me who suffer from depression, to watch a show like that uh, lights a fire, <laughs> or keeps a fire that was burning stoked. Um, so when it comes to pop culture like that, they could have been a lot more careful. And I think I'm like the only person who watched the documentary that came after the show <laughs> that actually mentioned that people who are suicidal often have depression and made some of the connections um, that the show itself didn't make. But what about all those teenagers who just watched a show without an adult and are now really struggling with suicidal thoughts? We could be more careful, and I think, and still be entertaining. Katie. Just going off of what Catherine said, there was recently another Netflix documentary or show, does anyone know about eating disorders specifically? And To the Bone, I think it was called. Um, and I didn't, I didn't watch it because I had a friend that was just like really triggering, don't even go there. And so I, I didn't. And I think eating disorder memoirs have become really popular and same sort of thing of this might not be the best phrase to use, but giving ideas or being triggering. And I remember reading one like 
very soon out of recovery where I kept reading it and it kept bringing me back to old behaviors and old things that I, I would do in almost a nostalgia way, a very scary way. And then I kept thinking to myself as I was reading it, I got to just keep going because in the end, she's going to be okay. In the end, she's going to tell me what she did because I, I saw the author and she looked like her life was together, but... It wasn't. It was like a memoir that was very real, very raw, very authentic of like where she was, and there really wasn't any resolution. So, and that specifically, it's really dangerous. Like on my podcast, if anyone mentions a number or anyone mentions, you know, a, a calorie count or anything like that, I cut it out or I bleep it out. It just, I just don't need to hear it. There's a, we live in such a diet obsessed culture. And I think, you know, I believe eating disorders are on a, on a spectrum and most people, primarily women, but people in general are on that spectrum in some sort. And I think to mitigate that as much as we can going the other way, I think that's really important. I think a lot of pop culture misses the mark with that. The, the panelists are all, you know, parts of different, very different communities. Um, and I'm curious about like the specific challenges regarding mental health that you see in the communities that you're a part of. Well, I want to jump in here. As a person <laughs> of color, it pisses me off. People of color f growing up didn't really address mental illness. Um, even nowadays, I still feel like it's taboo. And we'd rather call our children bad instead of taking them to a therapist to discuss their issues and see what really is causing to, them to act out. Um, for example, I had a foster sister, and she was very promiscuous when we were younger, and so much so that eventually her mom put her out the house. And her mom... She had a high position in the school, like one of the highest positions. And so looking back, I'm like, how are you trying to take care of everybody else's child and you can't even take your own child to a mental health professional? But she was of the mindset of that doesn't happen in our family and what goes on behind closed doors stays in our house. And now my foster sister is diagnosed as bipolar, but back then so many life experiences she did not have to go through. So many times I was dragging her out of bad situations, putting myself in danger that I didn't have to be in if she was given the proper help. She needed medication. And not saying that everybody with a mental health diagnosis need medication, but some people do, and it's okay if you do need it. And she was one of them who needed it to be balanced, to find out who she was. And at such a vulnerable age, so many things could have occurred. She could have died like a couple of our friends did, she was underage, putting herself in so many horrible situations. And I just look back and I'm like, we could have saved her from so many things if we were honest with ourselves and gave her the help she needed. Even me, in foster care, I was deeply depressed. But I only had myself and my journals to get me through. And back then, I needed someone to talk to. I needed that crush. I needed a support system. And it just, it just didn't exist. Nobody cared. I was another kid in the system. Pushed me under the rug. That's a problem in our society. And I don't know, I don't really know if that's getting better. Like I, I grew up with a dad who wasn't just a generation uh, older than me. He started having kids at like 42. So he was like a generation and a half older and Haitian. So really, I mean, I just, he, he was not only um, not interested in admitting any of his children struggled with mental illness, but he would not 
admit that he had any struggles in this department. Uh, even though a half-sister of mine took her own life, he still went to the funeral, grieved, and didn't really think that there was any sort of mental health issue at play. Interestingly, his two best friends, two, not one, two, are psychiatrists, right? Um. So what is going on there? It's like almost like a willful blindness and, and maybe a discomfort with your own kind of imperfections. So his own mental health was getting in the way of him recognizing it in family members, even, even though it was hurting him. I mean, he grieved my half-sister, but he couldn't step out of it long enough to get therapy for himself or her. So uh, also to uh, Miss V and Catherine, so I have, people have written to me uh, on, my, on my show who are women of color who are like looking for therapists who look like them, who will be able to understand sort of like the specific stuff that they're going through or that they have to face. And they, they, it seems like it's, it's challenging to be able to find a woman of color, you know, who specializes in, you know, your specific field. Like, what do you, what do you, what is your advice for them in particular? I've, I've had to go through several therapists and honestly, just because someone is the same hue as you doesn't mean they fully understand where you come from and that's okay, but keep trying. It's like as women, you don't pick the first GYN doctor, right? So you, you pick the one that you're most comfortable with, the one that you feel that you could talk to anything about in the world because that's the most private area. So keep looking, keep until you become comfortable. Don't stop because you deserve the best in everything. Issa Rae got into a bit of this in Insecure this season. Uh, her best friend, the very outwardly perfect Molly, is trying, like, therapy, right? That's how season one ended. It was her trying to figure out, like, hey, maybe I should be dealing with some stuff and talking to a therapist. And she has an African-American therapist, and she's trying to, like, get comfortable with her, but she keeps making all sorts of excuses about even how this woman doesn't understand me and this, and, and trying to almost make herself seem exceptional so she doesn't have to admit she needs help. And she like goes away, and then like a couple of episodes later, she's back. <laughs> and she kind of admits that it is working with this woman who only a few episodes ago, it, it wasn't working. Um, I was really grateful that they got into that because I think there is kind of an ebb and flow and sometimes you don't know, am I not really connecting with this person because I'm just stubborn? <laughs> or am I not really connecting with this person because it's just not a good fit, right? And they're not going to um, be able to break through to me. It was good to see that in a pop culture representation. For people who are thinking that they, you know, want to find help. How do you go about finding it? As, you know, especially for people who need low or no cost help. What are some of the most valuable resources that you, you guys have come across? Um, well, let, just last week, I, I reminded um, a client of mine who's actually on Medicare, but can't afford the, um, the co-payments, the weekly co-payments, which would be equal about $100 a month. But on her budget, that's just a no-no. So she stopped going to therapy. And it triggered a lot of other things. So I was going down the list of support with her. And I said, well, what about faith-based leaders? You know, like, um, 
when's the last time you went to, to your church or 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 can you make an appointment to speak to your pastor or is anybody d down that that line that you feel comfortable enough to make an appointment with i'll even go with you to start the conversation um i think a lot of times we overlook support systems directly in front of us within our own circle as as you were saying um you had a family member who had two best friends, not one, but two best friends that were psychologists right there. Um, a lot of my friends come to me for free therapy, you know? So you have to utilize what you have at hand and, 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 and don't be afraid to ask for help. If you need a place, though, that has a psychiatrist and medication, though, um, you'd have to go to, like, a clinic. And most have sliding scales that will work out the copay. Um, you can also call the Office of Mental Health and say that, you know, you have to get therapy and you have to get medication and whatever place the Office of Mental Health suggests. If you call the clinic and say, like, the Office of Mental Health said I should call you, they'll probably be a little more receptive if that's your opening line. I think the reality is that with health problems, we often have people advocate for us, and mental health is no, no different, right? Like there are people who have someone go to every chemo with them just to take notes because you're kind of in a state and you're not really paying all the attention that you need or to tape it or what have you. I've found that there are just some friends who can be there for you, that you send out the bat signal and they get it and they're, they know what steps to take from there because we've been here before. And there will always be the other friends that don't. You, you send out the bat signal and there's like nothing coming back. But once you have your people and you know that, then I feel like those people can be the ones to call you after 48 hours and be like, still haven't called Still haven't called, really? Like, it's probably, it's probably time to call your, your guy, you know? He's like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I really need therapy. I don't really know if I need to see him again. I mean, I'm probably going to be fine, right? And then they call you like a wet blanket the next morning. So have we called yet? Like, could I call? Would that make it easier? Like, and just that sort of gentle push. I often need that. Um, but... I guess pinpointing those friends who could be your kind of health advocate um, is great because they also know you and they also have skin in the game, so they they might kind of push you to you know take your meds, call your people, as the ladies on another round like to say. I'm learning so much, and I'm just wanted say that these women are so smart but the only thing I would add is something I had a, recently had a therapist on my podcast and she specialized in positive psychology and there was something that I really related to I think going off what you were saying Catherine about it's counterintuitive to do the thing when you're ha having one of those days and you you know for me like I have a tendency towards melancholy and when I'm in it, when you're in, when someone's in the weeds, no matter where they are on the spectrum and what the mental illness is, I think the tendency, at least speaking for myself and my experience, is to go inward and be alone and not use the tools, not do the things we want to cope instead of solve. And what this therapist said on my podcast was that's when you should actually do the opposite of what you're wanting to do and push yourself to 
even call the friend or call the safe person or go to the church or go to the safe space or go to the yoga class or do the self-care thing because what you'll want to do isn't that, but you should push yourself to actually be more social or make the call or, or put something out there, which is really we need a reminder to do that. And, and to, that's why I think community is so important. Um, so we we have about like ten minutes for questions. If people have have anything that they want to ask any of the any of the panelists. Um, the question was an audience member who uh, works in a sort of a corporate environment is having um, so, some flare-ups with, uh, with mental health issues, is trying to figure out how to navigate that at work and maybe like not the most understanding environment. This is, this is something that I think a lot of people yeah, deal with, like how to deal with mental health issues at work, just as if you were sick, just as if you had the flu, you know, if you have PTSD and like something triggers it, it's challenging to go in and like do your job, you know? So how do you communicate that with your boss? How do you communicate that with your coworkers? Um, I work at the Urban Justice Center. It's a nonprofit law firm and a mental health project. And I just want you to know that you have the right to take a mental health day. It is part of your sick days. Um, and you also have the right to go out on disability if you need to. Um, and you said that you're honest and forthcoming. Uh, you can continue to be so, and you don't have to fear. And if you do come across a problem, I have some brochures with my card inside. <laughs> I'm so serious. <laughs> I'm also a local national organizer, and I eat those type of people for lunch. <laughs> The solution is no V. Uh, make sure that she is like, you know. I just wonder, do they have an EAP unit? A employee assistant program where when you're having mental health issues, it's a program where they have to provide you help. And once you're enrolled with them, like you're protected from any kind of retaliation. Most corporations have them. You should look it up. The Times definitely had that. It took me like half my career there to realize they did. So they kind of keep it hidden. But if you go to HR, they're required to refer you to it. Um, so for for folks who are listening right now who aren't present, um, if they're interested in, in going and checking out some more stories about mental health and mental illness, uh, they can visit sweatstainsco.com. Um, and they can order their own copy um, of of the of the newest sweat stains zine. And um, to everybody who uh, is on the panel, thank you to everybody who showed up today. This has like been super neat. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. Hi again. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed listening to the panel. For more information about sweat stains, you can visit sweatstainsco.com. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast. 
If you want to check out past episodes of Group or learn more about Group, or if you want to shoot us a message and, and, and tell us what you want to hear about, uh, you can do that at grouppodcast.com. We'll be back soon with a full episode of the podcast. But in the meantime, take care, be kind to yourself, maybe do some of the stuff we talked about in this panel. There's a lot of good advice there. Everything's going to be okay. You want to know what I think, Suzanne? I think crazy is just a word people invented to keep the extra interesting people down.